The story you've just witnessed is the story of Rahab found in Joshua chapter 2 in your Bible. You might like to know that um, yesterday they weren't sure if Austin's hair was going to make it past all that rope. He was hanging by his hair when they first tried. You won't forget you saw that in church, will you? <laughs> Joshua chapter 2, here's the question. Why the story of Rahab? Why is she in your Bible nestled there in Joshua chapter 2? Because it appears like you could read Joshua 1, skip over, and go straight to Joshua 3. The story would carry on with the same outcome, whether her story is there or not. Why Rahab? Why is she there for us? That's the question I'd like to, for you to ask. Cha Joshua chapter 1 begins, Moses is dead, God is speaking. Joshua is the new leader. It's a new generation. It's a powerful speech God gives Joshua. Stand up. Move forward. I'm about to give you the land that I've promised. Be courageous. The Bible says be very courageous. Don't be afraid. I'll be with you. That's Joshua chapter 1. Stand up and prepare to move into the promised land. Joshua chapter 3, Joshua gathers all of the people. They move to the edge of the River Jordan, and the priests go first with the Ark of the Covenant, and they step out into the swollen river bank, and the waters part as 40,000 people step forward onto a 40-year-old promise. And chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, the conquest unfolds until the end of the book, they really have settled. The land is divided. They're pitching tents and picking parcels and praising God. And that's the story in Joshua. So why chapter 2 and why Rahab? We meet her in verse 1, where indeed the Bible says she's speaking to the spies. The spies are sent to the house of Rahab the prostitute. They went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and she stayed, and they stayed there. She is what the Bible says she is, so everyone just hang on this morning. There has been an attempt from the earliest interpreters, interpreters of the Bible, even Josephus, even Jewish interpreter, to sort of sanitize Rahab's status. Well, she's not really in that profession. She's an innkeeper. She rents rooms. Well, she's not really. She just helps the king. She just accommodates travelers. She is what the Bible says she is. It's pretty clear if we were to explore it this morning, and parents, we won't do that. We'll just um, ask you to take my word for it. Remember last week? When I said the name says it all, these characters, in, especially in the Old Testament Bible stories, begin with the name and the character unfolds, and it is that way with Rahab. Her name means sort of the broad of Jericho. And I'll leave it there. We had a gentleman come because we had a weed problem on our property this, the last couple of weeks. We got a notice from the city, weed abatement. If you don't take care of it, they'll fine us. And so we needed to hire someone who would till up the soil and take down the old grass. And we hired someone to do that, all right. He brought his equipment out, and his name is Joe Dirt. <laughs> it, it's a true story. Isaac has his business card, Joe Dirt. He tills dirt. Rahab is what she is. 
So rather than sanitize it, let's work with it. Here's what happens if we sort of sanitize it and skip over it. Here's what we lose. Rahab is not only a prostitute. Rahab is not Israelite. She's not only a non-Israelite, she's a, a Canaanite, which is a nice word for about seven groupings of people. She's not only a Canaanite, but she's about as Canaanite as you can get. She's about as far to the extreme, even in her Canaanite culture, as you can get. If you could imagine her at the farthest point of the city, the text goes on later to tell us she lives on the east wall. She really lives, lives between the, the outer walls of the city, sandwiched in an apartment there where her window and her red cord hang up against the wall, sort of in the farthest part of the city. Imagine that picture, would you? That is Rahab, about as far as you can go, even from your own culture and community. Rahab stands there as a sign for everything Israel is to abandon. Rahab the temptress embodies, and she represents a metaphor for everything Israel has been told to avoid. Don't go chasing after other gods, idolatry. And so here's Rahab right in the middle of the story, chapter 2. She is what she is, and it makes the story more powerful. She's as far from Israel and the Israelite God as anyone can get, positioned far from Abraham and Sarah and all of the rest. And remember, Israel has had a problem with chasing after other gods. Just back up a book or two in your Bible, you'll see that. So in Joshua chapter 1, when Joshua is told to stand up with his army and prepare to receive the land, they're told, be courageous and be strong. Today, you'll own what you're stepping on. Don't turn away from the law, Joshua is told. Remember, I brought you out of Egypt. Remember, my presence will be with you. When Joshua was summoned to stand up and step forward, instead, he sent two spies secretly out into the land, which he supposedly was about to own. Joshua falls back into sort of military tactics of sending out spies to scout things out, see the terrain, see what we're up against, how will the battle unfold. The Bible says the spies were sent out and the very next sentence says they ended up in the house of Rahab. And there, my friends, is also a whole nother sermon. What are the Israelites doing at Rahab? It's a question the text never answers. But this is where they end up, and this is where they meet this woman. They, instead of scouting out the land, they end up in the home of Rahab. And here they now are standing close in proximity in her home. They stand right up against all that God has told them to avoid. Story moves quick in your Bible, and I think you can envision it and fast forward, uh, just speed motion, if you will. The spies are in the house. The knock comes at the door. We don't know how it happens first. Is she already hiding them, or does the knock come? The king's men are after the spies. She opens the door. The, the spies are hidden that quickly, and they're asking, where are the spies? And she says, as you heard this morning, well, they're not here. And hurry, go quick, big boys. Imagine Rahab in all of her capabilities, really, telling the soldiers from the king's court, if you run quick, you could catch them. I think they went towards the Jordan. And even the soldiers from the king's court fall for this. Why don't they come inside and check her house? Why don't they see if the spies are hiding somewhere? But instead, the Bible says they left, they ran out of the city, they ran towards the Jordan River. It was dark, the gates of the city are shut, and the spies are safe. 
We don't know why Rahab moves so quickly and so competently in favor of the spies. The text hasn't said. The text doesn't tell us why she does what she does. Until now, Joshua 2, verse 9, there is a rooftop conversation between Rahab and her guests. And I believe it's, it's really upper division theology that takes place on the roof. Here's what Rahab tells the two spies. I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of, of you, the Israelites, has fallen on us, the Canaanites, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and, and what you did for Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, when, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now swear to me, Rahab says. Swear to me. She proceeds to make an oath, and she trades the safety of her own family for the safety of the spies. I'll let you live if you let me and my family live when you come back for Jericho. And it's a promise, an oath, a covenant they make on the name of God, the Israelite God. These spies are in so much trouble. I don't know about you, where you grow, grew up and in your homes now, what your rules are, but they're there are some things you could do to get in trouble, to break all the rules, right? Is it taking what doesn't belong to you? Is it breaking curfew? Is it, you know, being disrespectful, not doing your chores, not practicing your harp when you're told? What is it that just gets you or that got your children in a lot of trouble? For us, I remember, we're not supposed to touch the food on the stove Friday night. It's for tomorrow. You can get in a lot of trouble lifting up the crust of the apple pie and eating the apples out. <laughs> Don't do that. The Israelite spies are in a bucket of trouble. They have rules they've broken. They're listed in an exodus. They're listed there after they came out of Egypt. They were told, when you go into these new countries, don't leave anyone alive. There's a rule. Don't take anything out of the city with you. There's a rule. Certainly don't make a covenant with any of those non-Israelites, those Canaanites. Certainly don't make the covenant on the name of God. Oh, they are in a heap of trouble. All of this Rahab has managed. There is a monkey wrench in the story. And it is there, just there, that Rahab surprises us because what she said on that rooftop conversation, what she knows about the Israelite God seems to be more than what the Israelite spies know themselves. They are the ones who are supposed to know to step out into the promise of God and to obey all of these laws. But she said for them herself, we've heard of you. We've heard your story. We know you're in covenant with this God. We know you have a promised land. We know about Egypt. We know what you did to those two kings back there. We've been afraid of you. We know your God is the God of heaven above and the God of earth below, she says. It's a, a more powerful confession of the Israelite God than anybody else murmurs in the book of Joshua. Rahab. 
by the way, that little formula, the Lord your God is the God of heaven and the God on earth below, only three times is that confession of Yahweh made in the Old Testament. Do you know who else says that? Moses, King Solomon, and our Rahab. Now there's a list. Why Rahab in the middle of your Bible? The oath was made. The spies dropped out the window on the cord just as we've watched this morning. And it is a scarlet cord out the east side window. A scarlet cord. The Bible tells us that wayward Israel wears a scarlet dress. The Bible tells us that the sins of Israel are like scarlet. The Bible also says that that cord that's thrown out can have another meaning, another definition. A cord or a rope is also hope. And it appears that Rahab the prostitute has thrown a scarlet rope of hope over the edge to rescue the children of God. Rahab rescues God's children? Are you seeing the inside-outside conversation we began last week? Rahab, as outside as you can get, the furthest outside of her community almost. And on this side, the two Israelite spies who are in Joshua's care, they're just now standing on the edge of the promised land, about as inside as you get. They're going to be the first to touch the promise. Outside, in. Last week, it was Esau who was inside, out. But this week... Rahab on the outside. It, it looks to me like a scene we saw a couple of years ago driving on a, late, late on a Saturday night. We had relatives with a layover at the airport in Los Angeles. The relatives wanted to see Hollywood. They'd never seen, been on Hollywood Boulevard. And for some reason, we thought that was a good idea to drive down Hollywood Boulevard on a Saturday night. Have you ever tried that? For Hollywood Boulevard, before you reach the Kodak Theater in the theater district and all that is glamorous and award-laden, before you reach that uh, is the Red Cord District. Neon signs in windows and young girls and men walking the street, and it's a, it's a busy place, and it's a dark place, and it's, well, it's about as outside as you can get. As we drove down Hollywood Boulevard, waiting to come up to Highland, where the big Kodak Theater would sit and the Pantages Theater, we noticed on the corner of Hollywood and um, Highland the most unusual scene. Pouring down rain, 9, 9.30, Saturday night, dark outside. Here's all this traffic in the Red Cord District, but right on the corner by the stoplight, where underneath a group of umbrellas were about 40 people. Forty people wearing black and gray. The men had long coats on and boots, and the women had dresses down to their ankles, and the little children even had starched white shirts, and, and the men wore top hats, and, and all together underneath the umbrellas, there they were in the rain singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. The corner of Hollywood and Highland. Outside, inside. There's the picture in Joshua chapter 2. Why Rahab? The spies returned to the camp. 
After Rahab lets them down, they go home, they tell Joshua. Now Joshua does what Joshua's been told to do. Everyone in the camp gets up, they go to the Jordan River, they end up a few chapters later in Jericho, and you know the story. There are seven priests, and there are seven trumpets, and they're marching around the city, and on day seven, before they take those final laps, Joshua says to his spies, Joshua chapter 6, verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. They brought out the entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city, everything in it, but they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. She lives among the Israelites to this day? Well, there's a little understatement. Matthew 1 Verse 5 and 6, she lives in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed. And you know how that unfolds, King David. Yes, she lives among the Israelites today. How about Hebrews 11, this great hall of faith chapter, right perched there with Abraham and Sarah and all the rest. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient, or better read, those who didn't believe. And what about in the early church, James chapter 2, where they're arguing about faith and works and understanding how this goes. She's mentioned there again with Abraham. In the same way, was it not even Rahab the prostitute? Was she not considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and she sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds are dead. Yeah, she lives even today with Israel. There stands Rahab as a witness in the house of Israel. Rahab the prostitute lives faithfully. Why Rahab? She is an outsider who is now in. Rahab. She stands with the best of them as a witness, and she reminds us that anyone, everyone, whoever decided is just one confession away from being with God. Just one confession away. Rahab gives everyone hope. Any, everyone who perceives themselves as outside, who perceives themselves as shame-filled and unworthy, who perceives themselves as so far from God, God's reach could not possibly get there, there stands Rahab with her scarlet cord of hope saying, oh, but this God can rescue you. Why Rahab? Rahab says anyone who seeks God has hope for a rescue. Rahab also sneaks up on us, the inside community. 
She sneaks up on us and reminds us on the inside, look at how easy it is to sort of lose your way. Look at how easy it is to forget about the agendas of God, the spies who make their way in. It'd be interesting if you would make time this afternoon or this week to read Joshua 7, the story of Achan, who is also one of these high-bred insiders. Read how easy it slips for him as he loses his way, when he takes possessions from the ruins of Jericho, Rahab dies. Oh, everyone dies. Not Rahab, pardon me. Achan dies, and everyone dies. It's not that he dies. He dies as an outsider. He dies like a Canaanite. Read Rahab and Achan side by side. Look how easy it is, how, how subtly it slips up on us that we can lose our way and lose focus of the agenda of God. Rahab also speaks a question to the insider community. The question she asks is, how's your memory? How's your short-term memory? How's your long-term memory? For the ones who were supposed to have known what their God did for them, Rahab reminded them. In Joshua chapter 1, God stood up and said, Now remember, I'm going to give you every place you set foot on as I promised Moses. Your territory is going to extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river to the Euphrates, all the way to the Hittite country. It goes on and on. Be strong and courageous. Again, be very strong and very courageous. Don't turn away from me. I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. This is me. I'll be with you always. And Rahab knows this better than the insiders. So she's really asking us the question, how's your memory? How's your memory of your God and what your God does for you? It is a new generation of leaders, and they've gotten off to a bad start, a little wobbly. They've lost their memory and their courage. The question for every generation will be the question Rahab asks, are you confident enough to step forward into the full promise that's been given? When we read these Bible stories, just one note this morning, it is easy for us to come to the old stories, especially in the, the first part of our Bible. Someone said to me last week, how wonderful to come back to some of the Old Testament stories. I like to read these stories. When we read these stories, I, I want to caution us as a community not to under-read them. By that I mean skip to the summary and the conclusion. Oh, Rahab, yes, the one who let the spies go free, the one who ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. I caution us not to under-read and to say, well, yes, God kept his promises to the Israelites by putting Rahab there. Well, he knew he could trust Rahab. And I caution us not to under-read by saying, well, God had to work all this out, and of course we know God wins. I caution us. Otherwise, the Bible would just read, God wins. The end. But it doesn't. There is the story of Rahab. I caution us not to underread these. Every time we come back to them, we're in a new position in life, a new place. The Bible tells us you only ever see things partially. You never grasp it fully. So when we come back to read them again, let's read them again. Equally important, sometimes I think that 
the story, these kinds of stories in the Bible are different than things like prophetic material, that we tend to underread these kinds of stories and we tend to overread prophetic material as if the only way we're going to learn about our future and God's hope for the church, God's plans for creation, is to read the prophetic material in our Bible. I just want to say this morning, you don't have to go any further than Joshua chapter 2 to know God's plan for his people. It is right there in Joshua 2. You don't have to go any further to know the breadth of God's embrace than Joshua 2. You don't have to go any further than to, to know the desires of God's heart and what's up ahead than Joshua chapter 2. Why Rahab? This is why. When I was 16 years old, I was driving to work on an early rainy Sunday morning, with too little experience, too little sleep, in a very ugly car, which is never good for a teenager. And a rainy Sunday morning at six in the morning, I fell asleep behind the wheel and the car veered off to the right. As all country roads in the Pacific Northwest, there's big gullies lining the road. So when you veer off the road, you're going to end up five, six feet down. Only for me, I veered off and hit the front of a driveway sticking out and catapulted up into the air and flew through the air far ahead until the car came to a rest, landed down inside of one of those gullies. Both sides of the car were jammed in on either direction with the dirt and the grass and the wet mud up against the car. I slept through the whole thing. I really have no memory of any of this. My first memory is sitting on the table and work, two miles down the road approximately, sitting on a table with blood all over my jeans and blood on my ski jacket and, and tears in my clothes where all these glass bottles had come flying forward, the old-fashioned 7-Up bottles from the, uh, a social at the academy the night before. All this glass had come flying forward. Here I was sitting with blood on me and... Nobody knew how I got there. Someone dropped me off at the road, apparently. I don't know. I slept through all of that. My only memory, however, of how I got out of the car was a woman's face. And I believe my mother was the only one I shared this with early on because it was such an odd vision. There was a woman who, who, whose face I can't tell, but she had the longest red, dark red fingernails I'd ever seen. Just the kind you're not supposed to have when you're 16. And she had those dangly earrings on, just the kind we weren't supposed to wear when we were 16. And she had bleached blonde hair, and you got it, just the thing we weren't supposed to do when we were 16. Pardon my shallow, immature faith development here. Everything I was being raised not to be seemed to be this woman who came and pulled me out of a car. How did she do this? Both doors to the car were jammed up against the mud. The windows were shut. Then no one ever figured out how I got out of the car. All that I wrestled with for weeks and months was a very bad woman rescued me. <laughs> How did that happen? Rahab, a very bad woman. Why Rahab? Mm. 
because even very bad people are only one confession away from sitting with us. Amen.
So go forward, sons and daughters of one like Rahab. Be very courageous and full of hope for the Lord your God, the Lord of heaven above and the earth below, is in the process this very day of rescuing you. Amen.